Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. When a quarterback finishes a college career with a staggering 59 NCAA records and tied for three others, they've reached gridiron immortality. So throw in a stuffed trophy case plus one of the best seasons in history, and you have my next guest right here. It's time for the College Football Legends Podcast. The players. We're going to hit somebody, and we're taking downfield for a touchdown. I guarantee you that. The coaches. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The plays. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. And so much more. College football legends. Heroes come and go, but legends live forever. Believe in college football legends on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Chris Smith. The NFL season is in full swing, and even though you might not be at the game, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. Plus, there's always that online casino as well. The best part about it, it never closes. You can play 24 7. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Names like Jim McMahon, Steve Young, and Robbie Bosco shine for BYU. But even those legendary names didn't win a Maxwell Award, the Davey O'Brien twice, or the most coveted hardware in all of sports, the Heisman Memorial Trophy. The lone quarterback for the Cougars who rewrote the record books and is one of the most accomplished gunslingers in college football history is my special guest on the show, Ty Detmer, BYU legend, 1990 Heisman Trophy winner and a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. Thanks for joining me, Ty. Thanks for having me. It's amazing. During your high school career in Texas, you earned letters in golf, track, baseball, and basketball. And if that wasn't enough, All-American honors in football, and were named Texas Player of the Year. Now, that all makes me feel lazy, what I did in high school, let me tell you. And uh, But who installed that drive in you? I think my dad. Um, he's been a high school coach now for over 50 years, and, uh, you know, he was he was a pretty good athlete himself and, and played, you know, a lot of sports and uh, multiple sports in college even. And uh, so, you know, I think just, you know, that love for competition and athletics uh, was instilled by him and, and, you know, just play everything you can and, and enjoy each season separately. That's fantastic. And let's uh, talk about your road to BYU. What drew you to the Cougars? You know, I think uh, I, I grew up in Texas and, you know, I'm obviously Texas and A&M were the big, big schools that sure. kind of had that rivalry down there, but I saw uh, BYU play on TV and, we threw the ball around in high school a little bit then, which, uh, you know, seemed like a lot at that time for most people. But, you know, now looking back at, you know, your 30, 30, 35 times a game, um, you know, isn't that, that many times nowadays, but, uh, back then it was, it was kind of wide open and uh, I saw BYU play and, and just that fit my style more. I wasn't very fast. I wasn't very big. And so I wasn't going to go run the option or, uh, QB sweep anywhere, and uh, I saw BYU play, and they'd won a national championship in '84, and maybe the quarterback history there with 
you know, guys like Gifford Nelson, Mark Wilson, Jim McMahon, Steve Young, Robbie Bosco, and and uh, it really intrigued me to, to find out more about the program. And, and uh, as I learned more, I just felt like it was the perfect fit for me, and turned out it, it was. Yeah, part of that great uh, quarterback fraternity there at BYU. And you pick there to play ball, but many don't know that it's not just about signing on the dotted line. Take me through some of the paperwork, approvals, the honor code that you need to get just to enroll. Yeah, well, at the time I wasn't a member of the church, so, you know, there was kind of learning a little bit more about that and, and you know, signing up to to uphold the, the rules of the school, the standards that you're expected to keep, and, and uh, you have to get an ecclesiastical endorsement. Uh, at the time I was Methodist, and so we had our, our pastor uh, sign off, and and I uh, had to meet with the LDS bishop just to kind of find out more information and understand what you were getting into. And so I went through that whole process. And, and uh, you know, that was part of what uh, drew me to BYU as well. Um, you know, just kind of that clean lifestyle. And there weren't going to be a lot of distractions off the field. And, and uh, you know, that was, that was part of the, the process of feeling very comfortable going to BYU. Well, let's talk about a little on-the-field action. You redshirt for the Cougars in 1987 and share quarterback duties in 88, but you made the most of your snaps passing for over 300 yards and five TDs in a 65 to nothing romp of New Mexico. Later, you're named MVP after leading BYU over Colorado in the Freedom Bowl. What did you learn the most in your first two seasons in limited play? Well, I think uh, my my first actual action, we lost to uh, Wyoming. I, I replaced uh, Sean Covey at halftime. He'd gotten a concussion and went in through a touchdown pass right away. Thought, okay, this is no different than high school. <laughs> Piece and, of cake. Uh, <laughs> proceeded to throw four interceptions and fumble and uh, lose the game. And so uh, I learned, you know, you, you got to keep working at it and go back to work and and uh just keep grinding and uh so those those first couple of years were kind of getting adapted to the uh the speed of play and uh the different challenges of being a quarterback at that level and you know it really reinforced just you got to go and you got to work at it and, and nothing's just going to happen uh and it's not going to be easy well work at it you did you become a full-time starter in 89 and set the college football world ablaze throwing for over 4,500 yards and 32 TDs in the regular season, a 175.6 passer rating, which led the nation in the program's first WAC championship since 1985. How did you uh, flip the switch to the starting QB position so quickly? You know, I think having that success the year before in that Freedom Bowl game against Colorado, uh, you know, and, and kind of towards the end of the year there, I got some playing time, you know, whether it's, replacing Sean due to injury or, or ineffectiveness, but um, it kind of just built my confidence as, as it went along. And then, uh, you know, in spring ball and, and those kind of things, you kind of reestablish yourself as the starter going in and, and, you know, playing for a guy like Lavelle Edwards and Norm Chavez, our offensive coordinator, they, uh, they did a great job of just kind of boosting that confidence and, and instilling that in you. And, and, uh, so, you know, I think I felt real comfortable going into that season and and confident from what we had built on from the year before. And, and, and uh, as the season went on, just got more and more comfortable and, and more success, uh, kind of bred more success. 
Well, breeding success it was. You set the NCAA passing records for most yards through the air and total offense in the Holiday Bowl against Penn State. Plus, you finished ninth in the Heisman voting. Did you feel a weight on your shoulders to continue that pace heading into the 1990 season? I, I don't know if it was a weight. Um, you know, I, I think just excited to uh, to build on that. We had a, a veteran team coming back and, and felt uh, pretty good about that group. Um, you know, it was a fun fun style of ball to play, uh, a fun group to play with. And like I said, that, that 90 season was, was pretty special for us just with the group that we had and, and the veteran, you know, senior, senior leadership we had, that was my junior year, but a lot of guys returning from that 89 team. And, and so it was more excitement and, and opportunity, especially with, uh, number one, Miami on the schedule. Oh, definitely. And uh, we're speaking with Ty Detmer, BYU legend and 1990 Heisman Trophy winner. And that 1990 season ranks as one of the greatest seasons for a quarterback in college football history. One game in particular you just touched on early in the season against the defending national champions and number one ranked Miami led by Craig Erickson. Take me to the mindset of the team heading into that game at Cougar Stadium. Well, I think, uh, you know, for a program like BYU at the time, you know, they had won the national championship in 84 and and a lot of people questioned, you know, strength of schedule and some of those things. And so uh, we just felt like that was a great opportunity for us to to prove we belonged uh, on the map, on the radar. And uh, like I said, everybody was, was excited to have them coming to Provo. We'd played them in the Orange Bowl in 88 and I'd gotten to play a lot of that second half and uh, learned a lot about their speed and, and just the, you know, the type of intensity they played with. So I think that helped um, a lot of us knowing that we'd already played against them uh, a few years earlier and, and had that experience and kind of knew what to expect. So uh, we were a pretty confident group going in, but obviously they were the, the cream of the crop at the time. And, and uh, we, you know, we were just excited with the opportunity to, put ourselves on the radar yeah definitely with the speed of the team you trail 17 to nothing after the first quarter but then led the cougars on a 60-yard drive capped off by a 14-yard strike to bellini how do you focus downfield when you have guys like russell Maryland and shane curry breathing down your neck as you scramble on that play <laughs> well it was uh like I said, that experience from a couple of years before really helped because I knew I couldn't hold the ball long. I had to be, you know, make quick decisions. And then, uh, you know, it was just kind of one of those games where the adrenaline was sky high. Uh, you know, you kind of have that, you know, extra gear when you're scared a little bit. So uh, <laughs> had that extra gear that night. And uh, it was just, you know, one of those games where you felt like you were in the zone. You were dialed in and and uh, things were just happening that, uh, you know, you look back on and go, man, you know, uh, I didn't even realize some of those some of those things were happening, you know, at the time. But uh, just adrenaline and, and instinct kind of take over. We'll talk about taking over. You tie the game up at seven, goes back and forth. And with a minute 42 left before halftime, you complete seven in a row, including a strike to Boyce for a 17 to 14 lead at the midway point. What's the locker room like at the halftime? You know, I think that was really a key point in the game because we were down, we we go down, we score right before half, flip the momentum and uh and gave us just that boost of confidence uh to go in at halftime and and just kind of 
you know, you're in there just, you know, you're happy to be in that situation, but you know, there's a lot more work to do and, and you know, you can play with them. And so, uh, again, that was a big shot of confidence for us and, and just kind of, you know, Lavelle just kept it calm and kept us, uh, in that same mindset that we started the game with. And, and so we went, went back out and were able to, uh, continue to execute and, and our defense really stepped up that game, especially the second half. And, and, uh, you know, just a, a great overall team win. Yeah, but the Hurricanes didn't want to go down easy, that's for sure. You found the team trailing by one, 21 to 20 in the third quarter. Tell me about that final touchdown, which happened in the third quarter, to Mike Salido. Yeah, you know, you, you look back at the highlights, and that was another one where it kind of scrambled around, bought some time, a couple guys collided. Uh, you know, I tell people, I, I saw the the guy coming from the front side and and so i kind of stepped back to make him miss and and another guy was coming from behind that i i didn't know about so you know that that was you know kind of one of the plays that everybody shows as a highlight uh you know of my career and and i think that night just you know it's typical of the night where things were happening kind of that outer body experience a little bit um and then uh able to set my feet and salito did a good job of just sliding into the end zone and and uh, we're able to take the lead at that point, and then the defense held on. Yeah, well, were you biting your nails uh, in that entire fourth quarter, hanging on to that 28-21 to 21 lead? <laughs> oh, for sure, because, you know, they were just one of those teams that had talent all over the field, and, and they're just one play away from, uh, you know, having the chance to tie it up. And and uh, de- defensive back uh, Urban Lee came in and, and made a yeah, couple of freshman, true freshman at the time, right? Yeah. Interception in the end zone and broke up the last pass on fourth down and sealed the game right there. And one play really stood out from that game and it showed your toughness. It was a short drop and throw to your tight end, Chris Smith. Uh, what do you remember or don't remember from that Miami defender splitting your chin wide open during the game? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I used to wear a soft chin strap, uh, and that was the last play I ever did. Change that uh, quickly, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it's just one of those things where I saw him breaking open, knew the rush was coming, but, but kind of hung in there and, and made the throw. And my chin was up in the air a little bit, and his helmet just caught me right on the bottom of the chin and split it open. and got a few stitches at halftime and then uh, went to the hard chin strap for the rest of my career. <laughs> well, eight stitches later, you threw for over 400 yards and three scores. And Ed Ogeron, who was Miami's defensive line coach at the time and defensive coach Tommy Tuberville, went to head coach Dennis Erickson and said, we have no idea how to stop Detmer and that offense. Was that the best defense you ever faced? You know they were they were definitely uh, as far as personnel goes. Yes, um, they were very simple in what they did. It was basically cover two or man, and uh, they just allowed their athletes to play. We played Florida State the next year, and uh, they were a little more. They did more things schematically on defense, and, and they were a really tough defense as well. But um, yeah, I'd say you know personnel wise with Russell Maryland, Jesse Armstead. Uh, I mean, they had, you know, six or eight NFL guys across the board there. And and, uh, they were definitely uh, one of the more talented groups we ever played. Well, I could see why the fans rushed the field. How was that celebration after the game in Provo? (laughs) It was, uh, you know, it was a a big night for everybody. Um, You know, I 
kind of a funny story. I was thinking I better, you know, I better get to the locker room pretty quick here. So Lavelle will be in there and speaking to the team. And I, I kind of got up to the railing of the, the bleachers there and shimmied down and got into the <laughs> locker room. I was the only one in there. And, uh, oh, no. <laughs> so I, I had to wait about five or 10 minutes to celebrate with guys. as They started filing in, but I, you know, I tell people, well, I was the welcoming committee when they, uh, when they were coming into the locker room. So hey, you gotta be first. Was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to miss the post game speech from Lavelle though. I'm sure. And we're speaking with Ty Detmer, BYU legend, 1990 Heisman Trophy winner, and a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. And 30 years later, was that your uh, favorite game that you played? Yeah, I think so. You know, that was kind of the marquee game for us. Like, you know, they were number one in the country at the time. They were kind of the Alabama college football of the day. You know, they they were the team to beat. And uh, it was one of those teams you either loved them or you hated them. And, uh, you know, I always tell people that's that's kind of what college football is all about. That type of night, uh, the stands were full pregame, um, just the electricity in the air and and all that goes into college football. That was a special night for us. That is exactly what makes college football so special. The Cougars go ten and three that season. You finish with over fifty one hundred yards passing, forty one TDs in twelve games. And finish the year with 42 NCAA records, plus tied for five others. Then comes Heisman night. You edge out Notre Dame's Rocket Ishmael and Colorado's Eric Bieniemy, and take home the Heisman Memorial Trophy. What was your expectations going into that night? You know, um, it was interesting because we had to play Hawaii that night. So we were in Hawaii uh, for the announcement, which it was about 3 o'clock Hawaii time. Oh, yeah. Uh, when right. the announcement comes. So, um you know, you'd always seen everybody on TV and, and being announced as the Heisman winner there at the downtown athletic club. And so we had a little different type of venue, but, you know, looking back on it, it was pretty special because my teammates were around coaching staff was around. And, uh, generally when you're in New York, it's you and a coach and your family. And, uh, that made it even more special having, having the guys that, that made it all possible for me. Um, there by my side and, and a little celebration uh, after that. And and we got had to go get beat up on by Hawaii that night. I think her mind was off the game a little bit. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> celebration lasted the night. And as some of the BYU legendary QBs you mentioned, like Jim McMahon, Steve Young, Robbie Bosco, didn't win the Heisman. Was that for them too? Yeah, I definitely think so. And, and you can tell by Lavelle's excitement. I think uh, – you know, again, credibility was always, you know, in question for, for some of the voters, I think, for some of those guys who, you know, turned out to be Super Bowl winners and uh, league MVPs and those kind of things. Yeah, not but, too uh, bad. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think uh, for everyone associated with the program, that was for those guys that really put BYU on the map and, and uh, made it possible to be sitting in that, that chair that night. Yeah, and that 1991 season started out a little rough, like you said. But, man, you had a murderer's row schedule, losing three straight to number one-ranked Florida State, number 23 UCLA, and number 12th-ranked Penn State. But then you rip off eight straight wins, nab the Cougars' third consecutive WAC championship, and tie seventh-ranked Iowa in the Holiday Bowl. What led to the amazing turnaround when other teams would have just folded? Well, we were young. I think, uh, you know, like I said, that year before, we had a really good combination of seniors that, you know, have been playing for a few years. And 
and then a good junior group and, and then all of a sudden we lost those guys in, in key positions and uh it it became a you know a battle but you know we were battle tested after those first three against really good teams and and so then when we got into the whack schedule you know we were we were ready to go and kind of had things figured out a little bit and even then you know we got better as the season went on but we just were a young team but i think uh you know, with me being there and, and a couple other key guys uh, that had experience, we just kind of hung in there, kept battling, kept working. Uh, just like that that first game I played in, you had to go back and, and stay after it and, and keep grinding. And, and so we did, and, and we got better as the year went on. And those young guys got more experience and and game time, and you know, we just uh, got got better and better as we went. Well, better and better you did, and it was a third straight year. You were a top-10 Heisman finalist, finishing third that season. You completed your career with 59 NCAA records. You were named two-time All-American in 90 and 91 and had to make a little room in that trophy case as you also won the Maxwell Award and the Davey O'Brien Award twice. Did you appreciate all those accomplishments while it was happening? <laughs> Not as much as you do now, looking back at, at those things. But um, I think that my senior year, I felt I was a better player. I cut way down on interceptions and and played played a little more controlled um, than the year before. The year before, you know, we had more confidence. We were a better team and felt like could kind of turn it loose and got me in trouble sometimes. But that <laughs> senior year, felt like I was I was a better player. I played smarter and and. Uh, Took care of the football more, and so, you know, I, I appreciated having that year after, after having won the Heisman and some of the other awards. It was nice to to go back and and just to really kind of enjoy that last season and and uh, and then appreciate you know the the Davy O'Brien that year and and uh, some of those things because I felt like I was a better player my senior year. Well, better player you were because you were also inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2012. Where were you when you got that call? Uh, I was in uh, Texas, so we were living down there, and, and uh, you know that was a, a pretty neat um, opportunity to be able to go back and and you know I think for an award like that, it's not a, a one-time deal. It, it shows that you did it the right way, and you did did good things for your entire career. And so it wasn't, you know, kind of a one game wonder or, or one season It was over the course of time. So, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be in the college football hall of fame because it, it shows, you know, that you, you did some good things over a long period of time. Did any of your coaches call you with the, with the news or did it come from the uh, national football foundation? Uh, the national football foundation. And then, uh, had the opportunity Lavelle called me right after and, and had the opportunity to go out to New York and, and spend a, a few days with, with him and his wife and enjoy uh, the ceremony out there with everybody there. Fantastic. And I want to talk about a couple of your coaches. First, give us some insight on your head coach you just mentioned, the legend Lavelle Edwards. Yeah, he was just that calm, uh, you know, you see him on the sideline and never really showed much emotion, but uh, definitely a competitor. You know, I, I loved playing for Lavelle because he, 
he just kept things calm. And for a quarterback, you need that. You know, there there weren't the highs and lows of you know uh, throwing a touchdown and everybody's sky high, and then you throw an interception and everybody's you know <laughs> looking at the ground. Uh, he just kind of kept that constant even keel uh, all throughout, and and just allowed you to play and to to grow as a player. And and you're going to make mistakes, but you know it's what you do after that. And so. Uh, you know, I love playing for Lavelle and just a great demeanor as a head coach. And your offensive coordinator, Norm Chow, he coached McMahon, Young, Phillip Rivers, and Heisman winners like you, Carson Palmer, and Matt Leinart. What was the secret to his success? You know, I think the same thing. Uh, he kind of had that calm demeanor. He would, you know, he would go and, and uh, I remember one year the, the run and shoot was kind of coming in at that time, and he went out and met with uh, some coaches, I think, with the Detroit Lions and, and brought some back, and we sat down and kind of watched it and, and drew it up on the board. And then we went out and, and spring ball and worked on it. And, and uh, you know, there were things, some things that he brought back that I loved and some things that I was like, ah, I don't know <laughs> if I like that. And if I didn't, he just threw it out, said, okay, we won't do that. And so – uh, he was really good at adapting to what what he had to work with, you know, the communication with the quarterback position about what you liked and what you didn't. Um, you know, he was he was really good that way, and and really gave me a lot of freedom uh, to to be involved in the offense. Well, it sounds like you got some good input there. We're speaking with Ty Detmer, BYU legend, 1990 Heisman Trophy winner, and a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, going back to your Heisman, who was the funniest or most interesting fellow Heisman winner, and who do you still keep in touch with? <laughs> well, the characters. There's some. The I was going to say, there's definitely Mike. some characters in that room. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be Mike Rozier. Uh, you know, Mike keeps it <laughs> keeps it loose, keeps everybody entertained. Uh, you know, definitely the, the the new guy that comes in. He's he's the guy that's the most most boisterous and and most welcoming probably for that guy. So. I love uh, love having the opportunity to hang around Mike, and and then uh, you know I, I think nobody I don't, we don't really keep in touch any anybody real close, but you know you follow you know guys like Chris Winkie and Eric Krauts and and uh, Mike Rozier, and, and you know there's some opportunities we get together at some different charity events and get a chance to see see everybody. Uh, Johnny Rogers, uh, just a real outgoing guy as well, and. Then there were some of those guys that I followed uh, as a kid, you know, first opportunity to meet Roger Staubach. Uh, oh, wow. I grew up in Texas, a Cowboys fan, and, man, that was, you know, that was my guy. And uh, sure. having the opportunity to have been around him and just how he handles himself and, and such class and, and uh, everything. Uh, Pete Dawkins, same thing as a general, uh, that you just have a ton of respect for. A lot of those guys, and, and so really appreciative of the opportunity I've had to, to rub shoulders with, with guys that were uh, legends to me. Well, let's talk about the group of five and teams that get the treatment of no respect, the Ronnie Dangerfield treatment. Do the non-Power 5 schools now, do you think, get enough credit? You know, I, I don't. Um, there's some really good football being played at, at some of the you know the schools in the group of five. Um uh, you know, you don't have the, the gauntlet of a schedule that the SEC does. So I understand why they get a ton of the exposure and the credit because they, they are playing a tough schedule generally week in and week out. Um, 
but you know, it's, it's all kind of relative, uh, same thing with the group of five, you know, they're very competitive in their own leagues and, and, uh, there's some really good football players that maybe get overlooked a little bit in the recruiting process. Maybe they're, they, you know, kind of develop later their senior year and, and, uh, didn't get the recognition that the power five schools kind of give the underclassmen. And, uh, and so, you know, there's, there's some really good players playing in that group of five and, and a, a great brand of football. So, uh, I don't feel like they get enough credit, but you know, I don't have much say in all of that. <laughs> well, your BYU schedule, you, you, you ran a couple gauntlets, uh, when you were in school. All right, it's time to go three and out. It's time to go three and out with Ty Detmer. Three lighter questions to close out the interview. First off, there have been many Heisman campaigns. Do you still have the blue paper Heisman trophy tie from your Heisman promotion? (laughs) We have one in a scrapbook somewhere. Uh, Uh, I hope so. Every. Every now and then, somebody will be going through their their memorabilia, and, and uh, you know, I'll get one in the mail to sign or something like that. But uh, there, not too many of those probably still floating around. Ooh, collector's <laughs> item! There you go. Another one with that. And number two, while you were the starting QB for the Philadelphia Eagles in 1997, the team drafted your younger brother Coy. Did you protect or contribute to his rookie hazing? <laughs> You know, we uh, we didn't get to haze the rookies too much there then, um, but you know, I probably would have been one of the ringleaders in doing it uh, <laughs> had they hazed him too much. I mean, he's your little brother; you got to give him a little ripping, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's what big brothers are for. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and finally, I'm a foodie, and I've never been to the BYU campus. What legendary Provo meal or place there is to eat that you absolutely love and would go back to? Well, they have the creamery there where they make their own ice cream and things. I'm kind of a sweets guy, so uh, you know, oh, now you're it's talking. not Bluebell, but it's uh, it's a close second there uh, <laughs> to Bluebell there in Texas. So, you know, I I usually try to make it back there and, and get a treat while we're there. Did you did you find any uh, barbecue like your hometown Texas BBQ? There is. There's uh, there's Five Star and Bam Bam's up there now. So I think Bam Bam trained with a group in Texas, so it was close to home. So it's uh, they've, they've made some improvements since I was in school there. All right. Training from the best in Texas. I love it. We've been speaking with Ty Detmer, BYU legend, 1990 Heisman Trophy winner, and a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. Thanks for joining me, Ty. All right, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Believe in College Football Legends podcast. Make sure to check out all the prior episodes with Heisman winners, legendary coaches, and sports personalities reliving the greatest plays. You can tweet your questions at the Sports Jesus and join us next week because it will be legendary. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.